Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp help.com slash gold the peter schiff show hi everybody this is peter schiff it is saturday march 5th 2016 The media, the Federal Reserve, and President Obama continue to ignore the overwhelming evidence that is out this week, and in fact every week for the past couple of months, that the U.S. economy has in fact already slipped back into recession. Now, I know that the last revision to the fourth quarter GDP showed the economy grew by 1% for the quarter. But remember, the Federal Reserve, or rather the government, never acknowledges a recession until it's practically over. That's what happened with the Great Recession. It started in December of 2007, but it wasn't toward till the fall, I think, of 2008 that the government finally went back and revised the numbers down to show when the recession began. But of course, halfway through the recession, the Federal Reserve and just about everybody else on Wall Street didn't even have a recession in their forecast despite the fact that we had been in one for more than six months. And so I think that is the same situation today, that we're in a recession. I believe it began in the fourth quarter, although it's possible it is going to begin in this quarter, even though the estimate is still for about 2% GDP growth for the first quarter of 2016. I think that still remains woefully optimistic. But what everybody is focusing on are the jobs numbers. We got another non-farm payroll report yesterday, and again, low unemployment, 4.9%, and more than 200,000 jobs created. And what everybody is focusing on, especially 
President Obama as he peddles his fiction of, of the economic recovery is the fact that the unemployment rate is so low and we keep creating all these jobs. And this proves that the policies he put into effect are working. Although I don't even know what those policies are that he believes he put in effect to grow the economy, because the only thing he did is stifle the economy, yet he's trying to take credit for a recovery that really doesn't exist. Let's look behind the numbers of yesterday's better than expected jobs report, because nobody ever bothers to do that. And again, the reports are only good superficially. Once you look beneath the surface, and believe me, it's a very thin layer, you find out how meaningless the numbers are. First of all, the headline number, how many jobs we created. The consensus was 190,000. And we got 242,000, a big beat. And not only that, we went back to last month's, which was surprisingly low. We only created 151,000 jobs in January. And the government said, no, we were wrong. We actually created 172,000. So not only was the number much stronger than was expected for February, but they went back and revised January's number a little better. And so when you average the two out, you're, you know, you're back at about 200,000 or above 200,000 per month. The unemployment rate held steady at 4.9%, still below, I guess, that psychologically important 5%, which certainly makes uh, the PR snow job uh, that the president is doing much easier when you have an official unemployment rate below 5%. But here is a detail that President Obama didn't mention at all. Hourly earnings, average hourly earnings, were expected to rise 0.2%. And that followed the big jump last month of 0.5%. And if you remember, on my video blog last month, I said that that was a one-off event that that increase was the result of all the minimum wage hikes that kicked into effect in January. And since so many Americans work for the minimum wage, including college grads, when you raise the in in minimum wage significantly in so many states, it's going to have an impact on average hourly earnings. And that's what happened. So I said that I thought that number would reverse by February. And that's exactly what happened. Instead of getting an increase of 02 which is what everybody was looking for, we got a drop of 0.1, a decline. And that is the first time that's happened since December of 2014. It is very rare that you get a decline in average hourly earnings because prices keep rising. So when you, when you figure earnings are dropping and prices are rising, even if they're rising slowly, that still means that real earnings are, drive, are dropping more. In fact, in the last 10 years, that's only happened six times, six times. And it happened last month. And this is when uh, the Federal Reserve just a couple of months ago says the economy is so great based on a strong labor market that it was time to finally raise interest rates after keeping them at zero for uh, seven years. But actually, when you combine the two, because, oh, I haven't mentioned, in addition to uh, the drop in earnings, hours worked actually declined from an average of 34.6 hours to 34.4 hours. And of course, remember, if somebody has multiple part-time jobs, they add them together to get how many hours they worked in the typical week. But you have a decline in hours worked. Now, when you take into account that Americans earned less per hour and worked fewer hours, you get a total drop of, in weekly earnings of 0.7%. 
Now, that is the biggest drop in weekly earnings ever. I mean, in the history of the country, or at least as far back as they've been keeping records. Now, is that something that President Obama wants to accept responsibility for? The biggest drop in what Americans earn working for a week in the history of keeping track of the numbers? That is what's going on. But here's some more information that we're not getting. First of all, I've been saying a long time that the main reason that we're creating so many jobs, numbers-wise, is because we are transitioning from full-time employment to part-time employment. I've said that many times. There are companies now that refuse to hire full-time workers and has been, have been trans, uh, transitioning their workforce. They have been either laying off their full-time workers or cutting back their hours and then hiring uh, additional people to pick up the slack. And so that is where all the jobs are coming from because so many people are now working part-time jobs and now they're working two or three jobs rather than just one. But when you're just counting numbers and you're creating a lot of part-time jobs, you're going to get a larger number because each job uh, has fewer hours being worked. And so you need more part-time jobs to replace the full-time jobs that you lose. And that is exactly what happened this month. According to the household survey, 88% of the jobs created in February were part-time. That means only 12% of that big 244,000 number were full-time jobs. And then, of course, if you look further beneath the surface and you look at the type of jobs, you'll see that 80% of those jobs were in low-paying service sector type jobs, many of them being minimum wage. We actually lost manufacturing jobs, 17,000, I think, manufacturing jobs. We lost mining jobs. We lost logging jobs. You know, we lost all of the jobs that provide high income and benefits to American workers. And we replaced those high-paying full-time jobs with benefits with low-paying part-time jobs without benefits. That is what's going on in the U.S. economy. That is why you have so many people showing up for Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump rallies. If all these people had full-time jobs, they wouldn't be able to show up at these rallies. Instead, they're unemployed or working part-time, and they are fed up because they realize that the line they're being fed from the conventional uh, parties, the mainstream Democrats and the Republicans, what they're hearing in the media, they know in their hearts is wrong because though they're hearing about a recovery, they are living in a recession. And the reason they think they're living in a recession is because they are. Let me get to some of the numbers that nobody paid attention to while they were focusing on the meaningless numbers about low unemployment and job creation. The trade deficit, and this is very ironic because the trade deficit actually came out at the same time that they released the jobs numbers. And nobody, maybe other than Donald Trump, was even looking at the trade deficit. And the trade deficit came out at $45.7 billion. That was higher than the $43.9 billion that they were looking for. And in fact, they went back to the December trade deficit from last year and revised that up from $43.4 billion to $44.7 billion. So the trade deficit was bigger than expected for both months, which is going to subtract from GDP in both the fourth quarter of last year and the first quarter in this year. And in fact, exports were the lowest they've been in five and a half years. Five and a half years. 
You know, this is not a recovery. Now, I know Donald Trump is the only person talking about this, and he thinks the solution to our trade deficits is to negotiate better deals and to have tariffs. But that's not going to work. The reason that we have these enormous trade deficits is because we don't produce. If you look at the production of goods, you look at manufacturing, it is collapsing. Yes, we export some services, but we can't export the services that are provided by all the bartenders and waiters and waitresses that we've been hiring. And of course, the reason we're hiring so many waiters and bartenders is because they now have two or three jobs each. It's not that Americans are spending so much more time in restaurants. It's just that restaurant workers can't land a full-time job at one restaurant. So now they have to work two or three jobs at multiple restaurants. But this is a big problem. And the solution to our trade deficit, again, doesn't rely in better negotiators. We need less government. We need less government spending. We need fewer regulations. We need lower taxes. We need to produce things that we can export. And unfortunately, none of that is happening because instead of a legitimate recovery, the Federal Reserve has been preventing a real recovery. And instead, they inflated a bubble. And everybody wants to pretend that what we're experiencing is a legitimate recovery. But their numbers prove that it's just a bubble. Now, also, during the week on Thursday, just the day before we got the jobs numbers, we got the Challenger Job Cuts Report for February. We had a huge number for January, one of the biggest Januaries in memory, I think since 2009, for announced layoffs. They, we laid off 75,000 or 75,114 announced layoffs in the month of January. People expected a big reduction in the month of February from such a large number in January. We did get a reduction, but it was just slight. 61,599, that's another big number. If you take January and February combined, we're better than 20% ahead of the pace we were at last year for announced layoffs. And in fact, I think it's only going to get worse. Look at the number that we got on Thursday also, later in the day, we got the February PMI service index. This is services, not manufacturing. And manufacturing is already in recession. Almost all the numbers that we get on manufacturing, whether it's PMI or ISM, are sub-50 contraction. And in fact, even uh, the recession deniers will acknowledge that manufacturing is in recession. But they'll say that it's contained in manufacturing. The same way they used to say the mortgage problem was contained to subprime. Well, it's not contained. And the numbers we got on Thursday from the uh, PMI service sector index prove it because that index came in at 49.7. It was supposed to come in at 53.2, which would have indicated slow expansion. But instead, everybody was surprised 49.7 or rather 53.2 was the prior month. And that still was showing a modest expansion. But 49.7, that's clearly sub-50, and this should confirm that it's not just the manufacturing sector, it's the service sector that is in trouble. Now, normally, when you get a Friday, when the government releases a much better-than-expected non-farm payroll number, because remember, this is the number that everybody watches, right? And if it's stronger than expected, there's usually a big reaction especially when everybody is on FedWatch. Because remember, the numbers that the Federal Reserve supposedly pays attention to are jobs. And when you get a big beat like the one that we got on Friday, the markets typically react to that. But that didn't happen on Friday. And to me, what this is showing 
is that even though the president, the Federal Reserve, the media want to continue to pretend that these jobs reports evidence a strength in the economy, the markets are starting to figure out that that's not the case. Because if you look at what happened, yes, there was a knee-jerk reaction. As soon as the number came out, gold dropped. In fact, gold had traded up almost 10 bucks an ounce earlier in the morning before the numbers. And then it sold off about that amount as soon as the number came out. Gold got back down to about 1250. It didn't get below it, just down just above it. And then held and then had a huge rally up to a high of 1280. 1280. It didn't close there, but it hit about 1280, which was the highest price for gold since uh, January of uh, 2015. But the dollar also, the knee-jerk reaction was that the dollar rose as soon as the traders saw the, the big print, but then it sold off on a day and the dollar was broadly weaker. So instead of getting the reaction that you would normally have to a strong number, because it means the Fed's about to raise rates, the market did the opposite of that. And this to me shows that the markets are beginning to figure out that these numbers are meaningless and that the Fed is, in fact, not going to be raising interest rates more in 2016. In fact, the next move is likely to be a cut because I don't think what's going to happen is all the bad economic data is somehow going to switch to validate the supposedly good jobs data. I think what's going to happen is eventually the jobs data is going to roll over and match all the weak data we're getting from the rest of the economy. And again, as I said, the numbers that we're getting about jobs indicate a weak economy. But there's only so many part-time workers, American companies are going to be able to hire in an economy that's so weak. At some point, this transition from full-time to part-time is going to be over. And in fact, employers are going to find out that they have too many part-time workers and they're going to start getting rid of a few. And then you're going to see the numbers coming down. And you're also going to see the official unemployment rate going up. And then the administration or the Fed will have nothing to hang their recovery hat on. They're going to have to acknowledge that the economy is in recession and it's going to be a complete change of policy for the Fed. In fact, let me go over a little bit what happened during the week in these markets. First of all, gold. Gold was up about $35 on the week. That's a 3% gain. And it finished well off its high uh, Friday. We, we, we closed at $12.59. But that's the first close above $1,200 all year. I mean, $12.50 rather. And 1250 had been resistance for the past couple of weeks. So I think the fact that we closed above it is very strong at 1259. And we made a new high of about 1280, which is something I think we're going to take out that high or test that high at least next week as the weakness of the U.S. economy really sinks in around the world. But it's not just the gold market that shined. Silver actually shined even brighter. It was up about 70 cents on the week. Up, I mean, 70, yeah, 5.3% on the week. We closed above 1550 at 1551. You know, silver's been lagging and this is one of the first weeks in a while where it has outperformed the price of gold. Oil was the real star of the week. I mean, it was up almost 10% on the week. It closed just under $36 a barrel. The US dollar, despite this supposedly, you know, much better than expected jobs number, the dollar was broadly lower on the week. The dollar index slipped a percent. But that didn't tell the real story because other currencies were much, much stronger than the dollar index. I'll give you an example. The Australian dollar, which is one of the currencies that have been beaten up pretty badly 
over the last several years. The Australian dollar was up 4.2% on the week. That's a big move for a currency in one week. It means gold prices were actually down in Australia because the Australian dollar was up more than the price of gold. The Australian dollar is now at a seven-month high against the U.S. dollar. And in fact, currencies are strong against the dollar all around the world. They were strong in Southeast Asia. They were strong in Latin America. This does not look like an economy that is continuing to expand or with a Federal Reserve that's about to raise interest rates. It shows me that people are starting to figure this out, that these superficially strong numbers are not having the psychological effect on the markets that they used to, because the markets are beginning to figure it out. The only question is, when is the Federal Reserve going to acknowledge this? Because if you look at the Federal Reserve, you look at the statements coming out of Fed officials, they are still clinging to the false hope that there is no recession. Now, I don't expect the president to ever acknowledge this problem because the, the president's whole uh, you know, narrative, his whole claim to fame, the ticket that Hillary Clinton wants to run on and wants to use as, as a free pass into the White House is the, the recovery created by Obama. The fact that he inherited this disaster and he solved everything. And now the economy is in good shape. So he's never going to acknowledge the fact that we're back in recession. But the Federal Reserve is going to have to do something about these numbers. It can't continue uh, to drive looking in the rearview mirror and ignore everything that it sees in front of it. But I do believe that there is going to be a lot more pressure brought to bear because this is an election year. So it makes it different uh, than most years. And it's, you know, it, the Fed's got a lot of skin in the game. Janet Yellen has a big stake in the outcome of this election. I mean, not only is she a partisan Democrat, so philosophically she wants Hillary Clinton, but she wants to keep her job. I mean, I'm sure chairman of the Federal Reserve is a pretty good job. It's hard to get. Not that many people land that job. And when you have it, you probably don't want to lose it. And so I think she wants to get reappointed. And she knows that the odds of her getting reappointed by, by Donald Trump or maybe another Republican, if it's possible that somebody can beat him, I, are slim. So I think her only way to keep her job is to reelect Hillary Clinton. And she's not going to reelect Hillary Clinton if the economy is in the throes of a severe recession and we're in a bear market in stocks. And in fact, the stock market was up this week, although not nearly as much as the price of gold, but it was up. And I think the reason that the stock market is up is because stock traders also are beginning uh, to realize that the Federal Reserve is not going to be taking away the punch bowl anytime soon. Even stock traders were not spooked by this higher than expected number. And I think maybe one of the things that the stock traders were looking at was the drop in our average hourly earnings, because that is another thing that the Federal Reserve is at least publicly stating it is watching, because supposedly it's trying to make sure that inflation is at least 2% per year. And the Fed believes that inflation comes from wages. They believe in this nonsense of the Phillips curve or the wage price spiral. And so if wages are not rising, the Federal Reserve believes that inflation is not rising either. And so that may, in fact, be one of the reasons that the stock market did not sell off on the news was because of the bad news on wages, which takes the Fed out of the game. Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. 
It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They're all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold video cast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold video cast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com. There's so much factually incorrect information and underreporting by legacy media today. Shouldn't there be truth in media? Well, there is truth in media. Recently, a novel thought is now a reality with truthinmedia.com. Led by award-winning journalist Ben Swan, truthinmedia.com is the source for uninfluenced, reliable, fearless news where journalists pursue real questions, not conspiracies. Make truthinmedia.com your default browser's homepage today and get breaking news and commentary that speaks the truth to power. It's also where you can tune into The Peter Schiff Show every week. Visit truthinmedia.com today. That's truthinmedia.com. Access the Truth in Media RS feed by visiting truthinmedia.com forward slash feed.